Hello, everyone, and welcome to Human-Centered Security. This is the very first episode of 2024, so Happy New Year to everyone. I am joined today by John Robertson. He is a skilled UX researcher with a background in neuroscience and experience working at organizations such as American Airlines, IBM, and Visa. Currently, he is a senior principal UX researcher for a cybersecurity software company implementing quantitative and qualitative methods to create human-centered security analyst experiences. I often refer to John as a UX researcher extraordinaire. And to give you a little bit of background into this episode, because we really just jump into the thick of things, John and I worked on a project where really the impetus of it was trying to figure out how to have more productive conversations with our cross-disciplinary team about when and how to incorporate AI into the products that we're working on. And we felt like we needed some sort of guiding principles. We needed a framework. Um, and it reminded me of, of the book I'm writing called Human-Centered Security and, and the set of questions or framework that I give to readers to think about the potential security user experience. So what, we, what John and I found was that asking these questions was actually quite powerful. It really provided... Uh, some guardrails and, and some things to think about every single time we were thinking about incorporating AI, including, you know, one of the questions being, should AI be part of this solution at all? Are we going to be more helpful or, 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 you know, are we helping our users in, in, in this part of the workflow or are we hindering them? Are we just going to cause confusion? Are we just going to annoy them? So, Keep that in the back of your mind as you're listening to this episode. Really, what John and I really the jumping off point for this conversation was how do we ask better questions when we're thinking about new technologies, when we're thinking about AI, when we're thinking about, thinking about trying to improve the security user experience, what sort of questions can guide us as a cross-disciplinary team in helping to keep us honest, but also pushing us towards better solutions. So enjoy the episode. Um, so, John, um, just to start us off, just tell us uh, a little bit about yourself. How did you get here? Yeah. Um, hi, Heidi. Glad to be here. Um, like you said, I'm a researcher um, right now at a... I said UX researcher extraordinaire. So you need to add that. You need to add that to the <laughs> Yeah, that's my official title. title yeah. <laughs> um, currently working at a cybersecurity software company. So... Um, really in the thick of what you talk about on this show. Security. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just in case folks forgot. It's called human-centered security. <laughs> okay. So we're going to talk a lot about um, uh, this thing that probably no one's ever heard about. It's called artificial <laughs> intelligence. Um, and you, you've worked a lot in this space. And I'm curious what role you think designers or design teams play in the adoption and the use of UX of AI? Yeah, so I think, you know, I kind of go back to why I started in UX and design. It's really just, and I think a lot of people who get into design will relate to this. We're trying to make people's lives better, just very high level. It's and, the heartwarming story of the show. <laughs> yes. 
And I mean, to be honest, there's a lot of opportunity to use AI to do so. So, mm -hmm. you know, we can think about the experience all day and we can continue using those brain, all that brain power to start designing AI solutions that make sense for humans. Um, you know, more specifically, I'm thinking about, you know, we're experts at understanding user workflows, and that means we can understand where AI best fits into a workflow. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of setting expectations about the solution, explaining outputs, building trust. These are areas designers can, you know, really have a positive impact. Um, you know, I think ChatGPT is a good example of what design can do. You know, that search behavior that you and I have talked a lot about, the foraging, um, in combination with just people's social nature, obviously yeah, played a huge of, role. Right. So it's it supports users trying to find, trying to forage information, um, gathering you know, kind of clues along the way to whatever, you know, th that final answer is to whatever their, their query happens to be. AI has, and you started to go into this a little bit about like how AI impacts the user experience. Um, but can you give us any sort of examples you see, like where you see that this has happened or even like where you predict it might happen in the future? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously we're, We've all seen sort of the personalization of things. Mm -hmm. um, often it's kind of the marketing, advertising side where the algorithm is targeting you, right? Um, but also, you know, we're talking about predicting user needs, um, kind of really thinking about what you want. <laughs> what you're expecting and trying to um, get there for you when you're ready. Automating tasks, um, you know, and I think a big part of this is, you know, again, bringing that design part back into it is, you know, balancing the personalization with the privacy and the security and things like that is, um, something we'll probably talk a lot about during this this podcast today, but it's definitely something we're thinking about when we're designing, you know, these experiences. At the very beginning, you you talked about like the designer's role or the UX team's role is in um, really, you know, helping helping people, like how you know, helping solve problems and we bring a unique skill set in that we understand users and we understand their workflows. You know, we understand their needs. We can really um, empathize with them and, and, and share that empathy, right? Like disseminate that information across our organization so everyone can understand it. So given, you know, that context that you provided us with, um, you know, as like the overall role of UX, thinking about like security and privacy and ethical considerations, how, what role does the UX team play 
in that. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is a place where all researchers, whether it be UX, AI, otherwise, can kind of find some common ground, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the stuff we're thinking about also should generally apply to best security practices. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'll try not to go too deep. Um, I almost went to law school, but I'll try to keep it pragmatic <laughs> here. Um, you know, at a high level, we're talking about that kind of standard, you know, do good, avoid harm sort of guideline. Mm -hmm. You know, gathering only the necessary data, paying special attention to how personal information is being stored, controlling access to the data, informed consent, things like that. You know, it kind of spans across all of these industries as far as what you should be doing. I see a lot of times in UX, an issue is, you know, hey, I'm really excited about something I just heard and I share it with somebody and, you know, and I'm not kind of keeping these standards because I'm so excited that I heard this from one of the sessions I just ran. From an AI perspective, you know, we're talking about a lot of data that's being used to train models and how do we anonymize that? How do we keep it safe? That's kind of really important, especially now that more and more AI is uh, coming into kind of the consumer side of things. Um, as a quick aside, I just want to talk a little bit more about data. Um, yeah. Just because, you know, some of the best data scientists I've worked with, um, some of the best UXers I've worked with, will remind you that when we talk about data, <laughs> we're not talking about just some number here. We're talking about a person, usually, mm -hmm. that's associated with that data. And, you know, as more data comes in, it's easy to fall into the trap that we're talking about this, like, idea of numbers and things like that. But a lot of times this is, there's an individual associated with it. Mm -hmm. So I think these ethical considerations apply no matter the scale of the data. Um, and it also helps you when you're doing this to remember the human side of everything you're doing. Yeah. Whether you're in a user session or you're, you know, scraping data from an analytics platform or something. Yeah, it seems like you're kind of talking about two important things and correct me if I'm wrong. One is um, maybe like the technical like privacy side as in the more data you capture and the more context and meaning you put around it, you know, it becomes information and that information could identify a person. So it's, you know, personally identifiable information or personal information, which, you know, could be protected by you know, different laws. Um, so there's that piece. And then it also sounds like you're talking about um, just like humanizing what you're doing. Like this represents someone, um, the data that you're taking in represents a human being and the out, you know, the potential output also impacts the human being, right? Like, so it, it, did I capture that right? Or? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. But I think, you know, you can, 
kind of expand upon this a little bit, you know, bias of a model is a big topic in AI right now, you know, and the kind of data that's going into models is being evaluated. And, you know, the perpetuation of biases and how AI just kind of builds upon these based on the, the data or how it was built. Mm hmm It's very similar to, you know, how we just do research in the best way, right? We're trying to avoid bias. We're trying to gather a lot of data so we're not going off of just one perspective or viewpoint. These are all things that are familiar with people doing human-centered design and UX research. And I think it, it definitely applies to building AI models data science, things like that. What I really like about your approach to this, and one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on the show is that I wonder if some designers feel like these types of questions are not like questions they need to worry about, or maybe they feel it's not their place or like, it's just somebody else's responsibility. But you know, from your perspective, it sounds like no designers and UX people need to be part of these conversations. We need to be asking these questions because it impacts the user experience, right? Like ultimately that's, you know, where it surfaces, where it, 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 it um, touches the user in some way, like that is our responsibility. So we have to ask these questions. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Not, and not in a silo, of course, right? Like right. what would your recommendation be in terms of, um, I'm going off script here. What would your recommendations <laughs> be in terms of collaborating with cross-disciplinary teams? I know that you you are particularly good at that. That's in your your wheelhouse, your skill set. So what advice do you have for UX folks? You know, I go to the data science meetings, the weekly mm -hmm. meetings here. And often it's talking about research papers. And surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, depending on how much you know experience you have in cybersecurity. But a lot of these, a lot of the academic work in cybersecurity right now is human-computer interaction related. I mean, mm -hmm. these are studies that a UX researcher would not be um, would be able to conduct themselves. Their questions mm -hmm. we're asking. Uh, it's questions designs, design teams are asking. Um, it's just the people conducting the research are coming from a cybersecurity background rather than a design background. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, even if it's not work, but you're just like, hey, let me join your book club or, you know, working on side projects like <laughs> you and I worked on a, a kind of a side project with some data scientists and I think mm -hmm. they got really excited because it wasn't something that they necessarily UX think about all the time exciting things <laughs> they're like yeah <laughs> yes. let's work on your projects it's so much exactly. more interesting than what we're doing <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's something yeah. different yeah um, and yeah. it's something where they can show off their skills in a way that maybe they're not used to. So it worked out pretty well. 
Yeah, kind of diving a little bit deeper in terms of where AI, you see AI surfacing in terms of the user experience. Like I have some notes here that you talked about, like AlphaGo, you talked about trust, explainability. Like, can we dive a little bit deeper into some of those things and what they mean? Yeah, some of what you talked about, and maybe just skip to trust here. Yeah. Um, because I think that's a big, a big thing in the user experience of AI you know, establishing, maintaining trust between users and AI systems is something that's huge. Um, and again, going back to, to my field specifically, cybersecurity professionals, more technical professionals are especially skeptical <laughs> of AI or really anything um, really anything. <laughs> <laughs> really anything. So, you know. Love you, security people. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, trust is big. And mm -hmm. building an experience that helps build that trust, something designers can help with. Um, yeah. Something I've been seeing recently um, with the popularity of AI assistance um, outside of a security space has actually been increasing the openness to new AI solutions and security of cybersecurity professionals. So what I mean by that is we're seeing, we see people, highly technical people, you know, using ChatGPT to write emails for them. Mm -hmm. And they're doing this every day or all the, you know, often and more and more in these kind of low stakes, low, low stress contexts. They're trying an AI assistant in a, a place where it's not gonna be very painful if something goes wrong. And this is actually having a very positive influence on the openness to more machine learning and AI in cybersecurity itself. Um, which is very interesting for people building AI solutions with these technical kind mm -hmm. of groups. Interesting. So you're building trust with outside non-security related tasks, mm -hmm. fostering, building that trust and, you know, fostering, maintaining it. I liked how you use those words too, right? Like you, you first like establish the trust and then you have to maintain it because, you know, trust isn't, you know, just not like you just have it and keep it forever. You have to maintain it as well. Um, yeah. So they, so these being able to foster and, um, that relationship with, with AI and that trust with these different tasks, actually, I think what you're saying is then it, it kind of helps foster trust when they are using it for security related tasks. Right. Right. And then you have the opposite, right? Like there's this whole spectrum. You have like this skepticism, but then you have, you know, on the other end, people over relying on the output and like the potential dangers of that. Did you want to speak to that as well? Yeah. And I think there's, I'm sure in, <laughs> I'm sure in universities everywhere, this is a big issue of, <laughs> over relying on an AI assistant, not truly learning things as they go through it or um, potentially 
getting in a bad spot because of just over relying on AI outputs. Um, and I think there is a great paper out of a group at Stanford called Do Users Write More Insecure Code with AI Assistance? Mm -hmm. And what they found is basically, yes. I mean, <laughs> their findings support the idea that um, folks that lean on AI assistance to write codes are less likely to question the AI assistant and are more likely to write insecure code. Um, yeah, and they were more likely to be, to have a the confident, like to say, be overconfident in, right. in saying that it was secure. So they, not only did they, rely on it but they actually were like yeah it's secure yeah <laughs> good to go <laughs> we're less likely to question it right and i think that's i think you see a lot of again people at universities but a lot of um kind of more experienced technical people saying how are we gonna get people to the next level in their career if they're relying on AI to answer the, all their questions now. Yeah. Um, well, I again, also don't want to like, uh, I, I didn't mean to, it to sound like, Oh, like they over relied on it. Like how, how silly are they? Like, I think, mm -hmm. I think it is only natural when you are given an output that sounds that, you know, sounds right. 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 You know, and with chat GPT, like you get one, like there's one message when you sign up that says, you know, th there can be mistakes, you know, don't over rely on this. Basically, I can't remember exactly what the language mm -hmm. is, but it's like some sort of like warning, you know, right when you sign up and then underneath, um, um, you know, it says like chat GPT can make mistakes. Right. And it's right. like tiny little, like, you know, eight point, uh, you know, eight pixel font, um, like, and it's just not something that, what I'm saying is like, you, you can't, you can't blame people for, mm -hmm. for trusting the output when it seems so real, you know, and maybe in some cases it's been totally right. And it's, you know, it's been helpful and, you know, until, until it doesn't, <laughs> and then yeah. maybe you don't question it. Yeah. I think there's been a lot of you know, explainable AI is obviously a big topic, but I think there's been a lot of discussion to your point around like behavioral descriptions where like simple description of how the AI performs in different situations just to build that better mental model um, and kind of understand how to deal with unexpected responses or how to deal with responses, period, to kind of avoid that over-reliance, but also to keep um, <laughs> keep yourself from making bad decisions, just fully trusting the system. So I think there's, there is always going to be that balance, I think, when you have the human and the AI working together of the human needing to know what's going into the decision-making of the, the solution and, 
you know, making the best decision from there. And like you said, I think there's a lot of AI assistants that are not necessarily making it that easy <laughs> to form an accurate mental model of, you know, what's going on and, and how the AI performs. Yeah, it's like it's it's failing to provide to provide that feedback that would help mm -hmm. users understand like how did you arrive at this decision? Right. Um and I think that goes back to trust as well. Like you know, you talked about explainability. There's a great I'm going to drop another uh paper here, but there's a paper designing theory driven user centric explainable AI from a group. That's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's National University of Singapore and Carnegie Mellon, but I think research know, papers should have like a <laughs> limit on word count in their titles and they yeah. it has to be only so many um shorter syllable. Yeah. <laughs> yes, only two syllable words. Anyway, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> There's that paper explaining how to read it an academic paper <laughs> where again, it's just like maybe just design the paper better. Right. But anyway, <laughs> yes, please, please design better research papers. Um, But their idea was, you know, thinking about the type of work that users do use different methods and different models. So, you know, and they also discussed like how to avoid bias in user decision making. So a good example of this is to mitigate like anchoring bias where you kind of bias towards information you received early in an investigation. Mm -hmm. The AI can help you there by providing other potential hypotheses, right? Oh, are so you talking about security analysts or just like regular old users? Just anyone. anyone. In this okay. case... I think so. The information were... that you see first, uh, so anchoring right. is when it, you you tend to over, uh, you give the information you receive first greater weight than the right. subsequent information that you get. Yep. Right, and I think they in this case they were talking about medical professionals. Okay. But okay. again, we're talking about kind of high high leverage situations or mm -hmm. you know things that matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, again, kind of designing the explanation or even using a different AI model based on, hey, you know, users are using inductive reasoning here. So they're kind of primed for this kind of output from the AI. And, you know, thinking about that kind of stuff and well, and that goes back just, to really understanding your users and like right. where where their mind is at at a certain point in time. So to to be able to to know that, you really have to be in tune to what's going mm -hmm. through their head at any given moment. Exactly. Yeah, and I think it's important, you know, for technical users, cybersecurity professionals, to avoid kind of convincing them that our model is great, right? Mm -hmm. We're just kind of trying to explain the output in a way that helps them make decisions. Um, you know, sometimes that means like 
really showing behind the scenes what's going on. Um, you know, something commonly referred to as like a glass box rather than like a black box. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of these technical users are on the hook to fix whatever <laughs> happens. If something goes Right. wrong, they need to fix it. So seeing kind of the ins and outs is helpful. Yeah. On the other hand, it can kind of overwhelm people. And that goes Mm -hmm. back to that, that idea that we were talking about before of like the simple kind of behavioral descriptions, like, Hey, <laughs> sometimes the AI performs poorly in these situations. So just take that in consideration, like something a little bit more um, <laughs> straightforward and simple. Um, can be
I think, you know, one of the big things is there's lots of questions. Again, you know, we kind of started talking about how does design and UX fit into the world of AI and building new AI solutions? And so to answer some of that, um, we did some of this stuff. You know, we wanted to integrate human-centered design, ethics, and security principles into something that's easy to read, it's easy to adapt, um, and a way to get designers like jumping in and started in the area. Um, you know, to take that a step further, in cybersecurity software, you know, it's a kind of a specific space uh, used by a specific, you know, group of users. Um, I've said it before, luckily, there's a lot of research dedicated to this area. Um, but it's, you know, it's different from, con you know, consumer-facing AI solutions. Mm -hmm. So we needed a little bit of something that took you know, best practices in AI, best practices in UX, best practices in cybersecurity and meeting our specific users' needs and kind of combining that together. Yeah, what was super awesome about this was that it was um, customized, like what you just described. It was customized for our specific needs. So not only, you know, did we look at some of the AI and ethical frameworks that other organizations had put together. Um, we also factored in human-centered design principles um, and then sprinkled on, you know, what sort of things, what sort of considerations do we need to have because we're building security software. And I, I hope that people listening to this think about doing something similar, right? Like there's nothing stopping you from creating your own framework within your organization. This one just happened to work for us. Like, and, you know, it was, uh, you know, something that will continue to be iterated on. So what, what sort of things did you learn from the project building the framework? Yeah, I think a lot of it was, you know, really seeing some new areas to investigate <laughs> as a researcher, that was super exciting. You know, mm -hmm. again, I, I think I mentioned it before, but there's a lot of stuff in kind of the academic world of cybersecurity or AI research that we can use for UX. And I think this, this work where we did a lot of secondary research, um, kind of opened my eyes to that and really saw a lot of opportunity to continue that work um, with kind of a different perspective, with a kind of design perspective. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about, um, you mentioned that you saw some opportunities for user research that you could conduct. Can you talk a little bit more about, maybe give some examples of, of what those opportunities were? Yeah, I think one of the, you know, one of the big themes here is unintentionally, one of the big themes here is understanding the user workflows better. 
So one of the big questions that comes up is, what's the best way to implement AI in, in a user's workflow? Where are they more prepared for an output or where is AI going to frustrate them in some way? Um, when do they need to see the ins and outs of the model and when is a simple behavioral description enough? These are all things that we didn't know yeah. <laughs> and that we need to understand. Right. Um, and again, you know, the as things change, how the perceptions of our users change. Um, this is something, you know, you said it's this framework needs to continually be updated and, and yeah, it needs to be iterated on as perceptions change, as the field changes you know, and we stay, <laughs> we stay on top of things. Yeah. I like, I mean, it's interesting that it, it's like, you don't know what you don't know, but doing the research on, uh, for this framework for these AI UX considerations, um, it uncovered maybe aspects that you didn't think about and really mm -hmm. highlighted gaps in, in user research places that you had an opportunity to learn more about and really optimize the user experience and, and not exactly. just build AI just for the sake of, of building stuff. Right. Cause like the worst yeah. thing would be to implement something that's not useful or is frustrating or, you know, has users distrusting it or questioning it in some way. Exactly. Yeah. Um, in our last like minute or two here, do you have any concerns about the user experience research, like field specifically, like the field that we're in and the use of AI, or I guess, what would you see, what opportunities do you see and like what sort of challenges do you see or what sort of, um, what sort of things worry you? There is a tendency to kind of build things, to build things. Um, and I think the, the kind of human-centered part of this is really important to keep in mind. As a user researcher, working with teams that are looking to, you know, provide value for people with AI, you know, keeping the human in mind is super important um, to make sure things are being designed properly and time isn't wasted and things like that. I did recently no, I read that, um, oh, who was it? It's on Jacob Nielsen's Substack. Hmm. Um, he talked to someone, I want to say like a G, let me see. This is something that'll be interesting to you too. Oh yeah, it was G. So they, um, they used AI to analyze qualitative user data at scale. So this was user data of um, basically like support requests from like internal GE employees. And they were able to leverage the AI to um, categorize like the different types of, of issues. So they knew like what, what were severe and like what needed to be addressed immediately. And then they were able to um, track over time, like did the change they make actually improve you know, the volume of, of these tickets. And if you can imagine like a 
an organization as large as GE, like they get, you know, they could get like a hundred thousand messages about, about the same thing if there was a particular problem. So I thought that was super interesting of like a way to, uh, an example of a way to leverage AI in a way that, you know, really helps, you know, at mm-hmm. a large scale, like helps you address, you know, user experience issues in this case, employee user experience issues, but you know, UX issues none- nonetheless. You can see a world, I mean, data scientists have been, (laughs) it's not the way that you would normally think about it, but they've been working with AI and machine learning to better understand the data for as long as data science has been a field, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's hard if (laughs) they for the most part, are kind of born of the math, right? So they're (laughs) (laughs) a little bit more comfortable kind of with that sort of um, paradigm. I think there's opportunity for other groups to get more comfortable with, hey, we we have all this data. What do we do with it? Do we go line by line in Excel and read? Or, I mean, you know, we were, <laughs> we kind of went on a crazy adventure with some analytics and it's like, and we use machine learning to help make sense of behavior. Well, I, well what I was going to say is what you did <laughs> is you were like, why are we manually going through and doing all of this? Like, gosh, there must be a better way. And you took the initiative and we're like, Hey, data scientists, like, can you help us on our project? And ended up you know, like befriending the, them and, and, and learning from them and being able to, um, combine your skill sets to really, to, to get the information that you needed to, to analyze the data in a way that made sense. So I think that's a really good lesson for other UX people to take. Like there are people within your organization who are happy to help you. And, you know, in, in our case, like they were doing it out of the goodness of their hearts, right? Like to help <laughs> us. But you know, it, it was a, it was a, I think was a successful um, collaboration, and and ended up being something that you know you said you you join their weekly meetings, right? Right. With the data science right. scientists, and you know that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's like we we're speaking the same language, like we have a slightly different vocabulary maybe a slightly different perspective on things, but at the same, um, at the same time, we're really, we are generally looking at things the same way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, any parting words for UX teams or Um, write more usable research uh, papers? Gosh, darn it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, my thing is always, Going back to what I said at the start, just, you know. I like a full circle ending. Thank you keeping, for bringing us back. Yes. <laughs> you know, keeping the user in mind, meeting the needs that are being unmet, things like that. I mean, again, when you're working in very technical fields that are maybe uncomfortable, <laughs> you can always keep the the human aspect in mind as a UX person um, to kind of succeed here. So, you know, and the expertise and the 
technical details will come as you kind of learn more about the people you're working with and the people you're trying to to help and improve their lives. Yeah. So wise words. All right. Well, thank you, John. This has been really enlightening and interesting. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and hope you have a great rest of the day. You too. Thank you.